Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 51 of the Citizen Dame podcast, the podcast where we try to make sense of the world, and it usually doesn't happen, but we still try. Nevertheless, we persist. I am Karen Peterson, and joined, as always, by Kristen Lopez. The world may not make sense, but people make sense, depending on the people. From a certain point of view. <laughs> Getting philosophical this morning. I, you know, we always seem to start with like an existential crisis. Recently. <laughs> like, Hi, it's becoming our brand. Yeah, I was listening to our to our like first episode. I was just like, oh man, we sound so hopeful and young and wow. It was now it's years the, ago. It's it turned into the third Lord of the Rings, and we've been fighting for centuries. <laughs> exactly, and Kimberly Pierce. Good morning. Well, all right. It's good to be back with you guys. I missed you last week for the big 50th episode. Um, how's your week been? Meh. <laughs> that sounds about Just right. Based on the screenings I've had, I can say meh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not bad. Not bad. I had the opportunity to interview the editor for Crazy Rich Asians the other day, and oh my gosh, that was so much fun. He is a cool guy. It was pretty cool, but the rest of the week has been, yeah, just, ugh. I mean, ugh. I feel good that I got the worst movie out last week, but that left me this week to ponder how awful it was. Yeah, that movie last week was like, wow. I saw it, too, under we're duress. We're gonna talk about it. Are we? Okay. Oh, yes. no, I meant the one that you guys, re- that Wait, you reviewed last week. which movie are you week. talking about? <laughs> I was talking about Pred- The Predator, which is, like, oh, the worst movie so ever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're just like, Wait a minute, which bad movie are you discussing? I'm discussing that one. The which worst one you bad movie. The that's, Predator that shows is bad. how shitty yes. the choices are right now. I know, I know. It's so true. Uh, They're actually saying this is probably going to be the lowest box office weekend for the entire year, so... There's nothing really out. There's some um, joys right around the corner. We, we're almost to bad times at El yeah. Royale. Yeah, uh, yeah we're right in that. As, on uh, Tuesday, as soon as I come back from my trip, I go see Bad Times at the El Royale. And I was like, yay! I'm so freaking jealous. I am so The, the year's getting better, ladies. The year's getting better. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll take me out of the spiral I've been in this week. Well... Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. your week ended pretty well because it's a, a certain show that hit Netflix. But we'll talk about that later too, right? We'll talk about that. Yes, that's on the oh, list. Yeah. All Thanks right. So of let's. Just... We're talking about that. It's me, Karen. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah. Um. So I think so. We got to jump right into the garbage people, of course. Get that out of the way. Take out the trash. Um, I think I'm going to start with Millie Bobby Brown, who is not a garbage person, but she is apparently in the clutches of one. Of course, uh, Drake, the hip-hop artist? Is he, is he hip-hop? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, I <laughs> how you doing, fellow kids? You're not down with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, last week for the Emmys, Millie Bobby Brown's on the red carpet, and someone asked her about her friendship with Drake, who is 31. Millie Bobby Brown, star of Stranger Things, is currently 14. And in this brief interview, they were talking, and she's joking and laughing about the fact that Drake is such a good friend, and he's so sweet to her, and he gives her all kinds of advice about boys. And, um, yeah, super gross. And so this video gets posted. A bunch of people, myself included, saw that and instantly went, um, no, that's what grooming looks like. That's not cute. That is terrifying. And someone needs to be an adult and get her out of this situation before it becomes really terrible. Uh, and so then the next day, of course, this blows up people freaking out. So the next day, she goes on Instagram with a picture of her and Drake, and she just looks like a baby. And it's just like, oh, honey, honey, gotta stop this. And she says, why you gotta make a lovely friendship your headline? You guys are weird, for real. I'm lucky to have people in the business extend their time to help me further my career and offer their wisdom and guidance. I'm very blessed to have amazing people in my life. You don't get to choose that for me. It's nice to have people understand what I do. Now get back to talking about real problems in this world other than my friends friendships geez peace sign um it's (laughs) this is one of the real problems in the world i mean we've spent the last year talking about garbage people and how this starts and how so much of it is it it just oh my gosh i don't even know like it's just it's terrifying that there's no one around this kid protecting her and saying no this is wrong and the fact that her parents are so much more concerned with making sure that they have a little star on their hands than protecting their daughter who is still a child and even though for the last year with me too we've mostly been talking about men's treatment of women this is something that has come up frequently too is how children in this industry are treated and the fact that no one's watching out for them and that that these kinds of things keep happening and so we have kids you know at 10 12 14 years old that are being introduced to these really terrible situations and there's no one putting a stop to it uh what were your thoughts you guys when you saw this hit the news this week i mean it's something that we've talked about i know i've we've talked about it when we've talked about child stars and it's a subject i feel maybe because i've i've seen that child stars don't really change in this industry that i get very passionate about it i think that the the child star element of hollywood is something that is incredibly corrupt that they don't do any work in in terms of protecting any of these kids. Again, the read the Brad Renfro article about what little quote-unquote, you know, supervision is happening with these kids. It is non-existent. So it is up to the parents. And if you read the blind item community like I do, then Millie Bobby Brown is and her parents specifically are allegedly prime offenders of making her famous at all costs and that is very troubling that is very sad um i've heard people make jokes about her in the context of oh she's either going to be lindsay lowen or dana plato and that is horrible to 
to to think about regarding any child star but you have to look at why those are the dichotomies when it comes to women specifically who start as children um the concept of a 31 year old man texting a 14 year old girl if that was in any other society like any other culture not hollywood that man would be in trouble that man would be arrested but because it's drake it's Drake, the man who is currently dating an 18-year-old that he admitted he knows from the she, he knew from the age of 16. That's not troubling because I think that most people the assumption is uh, 16. You know, you can drive a car. That's okay. That's legal in some states, and that's the thinking that I, we need. The Me Too movement now needs to get away from. We've talked about the Me Too movement looking at these events in terms of black and white rape and consent but when it comes to the gray areas we're still not there yet and this is not a gray area by any stretch but it is something that is systemic in our country and it's not just in the child star element it is the fact that actresses are commonly paired with men 20 years their senior that there is still this reverence on feminine youth and the concept of a guy dating a a trophy wife who's 21 that's totally acceptable um so we really need to look at that but in the short term this is not appropriate and if this is being sold as cute then we have not come very far at all yeah the i i think that it's good that you mentioned this that if this were any other business if this were any other situation that you've got a 31 year old man having a close friendship with a 14 year old girl that would raise some red flags whether or not if whether or not you know it was totally innocent like which it perfect it can be or there's always a question of like okay why why is a 31 year old man interested in talking and being friends with and being close to a 14 year old girl and none of the answers are particularly savory and i i'm glad that you i'm glad that you mentioned the whole thing about drake dating an 18 year old that he's known since she was 16. that also raises Mm -hmm. a red flag because that says this is a guy so you know yeah maybe he's not gonna do anything when she's 14 15 years old but he it's like he's waiting for her to be 18. he's waiting for her to be of age that he's not going to get into any trouble. And you see that time and time again in talking about young female stars. Um, We had like, there was like, there were men that had countdowns to to, um, uh, Emma Watson being 18. You know, there there were whole, I mean, there was one guy that got into serious trouble about talking about who he was looking forward to turning the age of consent. People like Abigail Breslin and um, Chloe Moretz. Uh, and that's that's fucked up. That that just is fucked up. And it's that sexualizing and the sexualization of very young girls, and girls who you know we've we've seen that in some of the in some of the Me Too things that have come out is girls saying like you know I went into you know at a le- at a level she went into this consensually, but she was too young to give consent. She was too young to say to really understand what was happening and to really understand that this wasn't just a romantic you know oh, I have this amazing boyfriend. It's like, no, you have a predator. You have a guy that's going after you. And someone has to have responsibility in protecting these these kids. They're 
fucking kids. She is a child. She's 14. Oh my God. I try to think about myself at the age of 14 being like, no, no, you do not have a good sense of who you are or a good sense of what you should be doing, what you should not be doing. And your parents and your guardians and anyone who's around you, adults should be being like, no, we're going to, we're going to take care of you. We're going to protect you. We're going to make certain Mm -hmm. you're not hurt. Yeah, as a as a, a woman who grew up looking significantly younger than most of her peers and was asked by numerous grown-ass men how old she was before they would talk to her, I, I mean, this kind of hits you where you live in certain, it, for me at least, because I, I mean, I joke about it a lot, but as a, as a teenage girl, it is very weird. And the hip-hop community, I think, has a real problem with this, um, going all the way back to that wonderful, horrible human being, um, R. Kelly. You know, yeah. Aaliyah, Aaliyah was married to him. She she started dating him. He produced her first, first album when she was 14, which he made her title, Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. And, and they were in a, a very public relationship. She had to lie about her age in order to get married to him at 15 years old. And and then you have, have this, and there's this real issue with the concept of of youth and and how it's just okay to sexualize women and young little girls when they're underage but you don't see that with men and and it's still not okay no matter who it is but the hip-hop community especially you know if you've seen anything like the dream world series uh, about female exploitation in uh, rap music videos and this I just goes into that whole question of of the music producer and the the po- it's the casting couch. I mean, it's the casting couch for the music industry, um, and it's it's very troubling because he's playing into a long line of men that I would think Drake wouldn't want to be associated with. I remember when there were countdowns to Taylor Lautner turning 18 and all these Twilight moms were all getting excited about it and I'm I'm pointing out to like to these guys like hey you're doing the same thing these creepy ass men have done to these young girls and they were like oh but it's different for us no you're still sexualizing a child and it it doesn't matter which side it's on it needs to stop well, I think we had the same conversation back when we mm-hmm. were discussing the Bradley yeah. Crow article as well. That you you see it with the Brad Renfro's, you see it with um, God, and the yeah. name is completely escaping me. Jonathan Brandis is another one that comes to mind, and and it's just and even more recently, let's talk about the the uh, middle aged women mm-hmm. stalking the Stranger Things boys. Yeah, yeah, it's been wolf hard, and those guys are getting harassed. I mean, it's harassment. It is, yeah. You know, and and at least he his reaction was very much like, you know, I'm a kid, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But that's obviously not Millie Bobby Brown's reaction. And and then you get into all of these things like uh, if you know if her parents aren't looking out for her, and she's got this older man who's like, oh, I'm going to talk to you about things that you can't talk to your parents about. You know, all of that stuff is very attractive to, particularly to someone who's who's a teenage girl who's just you know who's just growing up and is in the spotlight and is like getting this really great attention. She thinks from an older guy, and that's really cool. It's like, hey, I'm friends with Drake. Isn't that awesome? She's. She's probably over the moon. I know where yeah. I would have been at 14. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just you don't know it. You get you get that kind of attention, and and society teaches you that it's okay, and that this is this is like something that you want, and and you don't realize until years later, or sometimes you realize when it has gone too far, that this is actually incredibly dangerous and potentially very dangerous. Yeah. Well, and and the thing is too that we have media who are not calling it out in the moment either, or. You know, even yeah. some um, a lot of times, not at all. Like when this red carpet moment happened, and she's talking about this this friendship. Granted, you can't in that video you can't see the faces of the reporters the entire time, but nothing in what they say suggests that they even like paused and went, "Wait, that's weird," you know. And then when people are writing the articles about it, it was it was a bunch of people on Twitter, us and and other people on Twitter who looked at that and went, "No, no, that's not okay." Yeah. And so you've got media that are feeding into this too, and like, "Oh, look at how cute that is." And then like this Cosmo article that addressed her response and they're like oh no she says you guys are weird for thinking that but they don't get into saying why it's um i, I mean yeah you karen you bring up that oh she's she's the one controlling the narrative on this but mm -hmm. she's a 14 year old girl if a 14 year old girl says i'm allowed to eat ice cream every day it's totally fine and how dare you make uh, uh, like that would be ridiculous. We'd be like, you're a child. You don't know what's good for you at that point. And I'm all for, like, female liberation and, and women, like, knowing what they want. But there are some things that, as a, as a teenage girl, you don't realize are inappropriate until after. Like, you know, eating all that ice cream and you gain 800 pounds. <laughs> like, you're going to be like, I shouldn't have done that. Um, and, and I think the same thing goes here. You know, if you watch um, The Tale that apparently Millie Bobby Brown's parents didn't watch, um, you can see how this play, it's ex the exact same thing. It's the yeah. exact same concept. Yeah, um, yeah, so it really is. Common. And it's like, I, my solution, because I know, Kristen, you've had a number of times, like, let's just not have child actors in this industry. And I think that there is definitely some some need to scale back on how many kids are employed in Hollywood. But I also think, okay, if a parent is going to put their kid in this industry, then... There needs to be a guardian assigned, a legal guardian, and that parent doesn't have access and rights over their kids. So that's the decision they're making. You want your kid to be in Hollywood? Fine. You don't get to make any decisions for them. This other person who is appointed, who is licensed, regulated, all that is the one that now gets to parent your kid. So that's the choice that you make. The child needs an advocate who doesn't have, I mean, because it's, looking at those paychecks those kids are probably making those parents are if this is an age-old tale in hollywood i've just been sitting here thinking about natalie wood and i was i just watched love finds andy hardy this week and judy garland in that movie made me incredibly depressed this is a problem that continues to happen but and i'm completely behind you karen these kids need advocates and if the parents aren't going to be the advocates they need somebody who's there just to speak for the child who's not invested in anything else yeah, yeah too many parents are working against their kids interests and it's it needs to stop if they want to have famous kids then they also have to accept that that means they're not in control and that's that's the only way to get a handle on this i think um speaking yeah. of something else that continues to be a problem sean penn <laughs> still <laughs> Still is out there. Um, 
Oh my god. That just was a fun sentence to say. Um, <laughs> so, Sean Penn has some thoughts about Me Too and the movement that is dividing men and women. Um, who wants to talk about this since my Skype is so unreliable? Um, I'll talk about it since I have it up. Um, this is courtesy of The Guardian. Um, so, Sean Penn is. Uh, promoting his new net or er, Hulu drama, The First, which apparently sucks. I haven't watched it. Hulu keeps trying to tell me, like, oh, you should watch this. And I'm like, no, get it off my screen. <laughs> and he was doing the Today Show with Natasha McElhone, who is the co-star for him on the show. They asked her the question about Me Too. He immediately jumped in, because he's Sean Penn, capital douche, and said, quote, this is a movement that was largely shouldered by a kind of receptacle of the salacious. And Natalie Morales, who was the reporter, asked him to explain that. And he said, quote, well, we don't know what's a fact in many of the cases. Salacious is as soon as you call something a movement that is really a series of many individual accusers, victims, accusations, some of which are unfounded. He says, quote, the spirit of much is what has been the Me Too movement is to divide men and women. Oh, Sean, 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 Sean. So he also said later in an, other, in an additional interview with The Guardian in May that he called the Me Too movement, quote, not intellectually honest, a movement led by mania and full of self-aggrandizement and venting. Now, this is a guy who has beaten people up on multiple occasions. Documented. Um, he documented <laughs> abuse of both physical and sexual abuse of his first wife, Madonna. And room, heavy, heavy, heavy rumors of a physical abuse against Robin Wright. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, he seems like a great guy to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean he's he's the <laughs> one that we should be maybe focusing on. No, I'm just, uh, I, just, I don't know. Um, he, as we've as we've been saying, who did you hurt? Actually, we know we who know exactly he hurt. who he hurt. We don't know. Yeah, we know that. Answer. Yeah, <laughs> we don't but, need that. You know, I mean, what kind of hubris does this take? does this take for this for this guy to come out and and be like oh i'm going to talk about this and in doing so remind everybody of all of the horrific things that we know i've done like the public knows about this shit it's like yeah sean this is really what this is really the kind of thing that you want to remind everybody of is what a terrible human being you are right uh, yeah well and that's the thing too it's like okay you're you're just going to either he thinks that people don't know or he is just that unaware of his own situation that he thinks that he has something that people actually care to hear and it's just like get over yourself dude you know yeah no i i think that he's unaware i absolutely i i don't think that he he can sit he's just like oh no this is like this is insane this is mob mentality you know all of that shit it's like no he do you not get that you are, like, a poster boy for this shit? Come on, man. Well, and I want to throw out, Rafael Casal did a whole thread on this on Twitter. Yeah. 
And he said, quote, it's alarming how much louder male criticism of the movement sits in the media than even the voices of the movement's leaders themselves. I urge men of social importance to, when asked about their opinion of the Me Too movement, consider that even that question you were asked more than women are. When answering, defer to the voices you can best amplify. That doesn't mean you must ignore your thoughts on the matter, but do remember and respect the tremendously difficult road taken to get the conversation to this point and honor the necessity of its volume. I like him a lot. Yeah, just melted <laughs> my heart a little. Mm-hmm. I know. That's how you make a statement, okay? Like, seriously. Why is this difficult? Um, oh, my God. So, Sean Penn sucks. And I say this as somebody who uh, likes a lot of Sean Penn movies. As a performer, he is he's great. As a human being, he is like a horrific dumpster fire of shit that needs yeah to he's one of those that is just so awful and tra- and like just trash in real life that it makes it very hard for me to to sit down and watch any of his films there are some that i i can can do but for the most part i'm just like uh like just get off my screen i don't want to see your face you know <laughs> I, I come at him i come at him from the exact same place karen so I wanted to kind of finish this segment with the biggest piece that came out this week, and that was the uh, Vulture profile of Soon Yi Previn, which many of you are wondering, who's Soon Yi Previn? And those of you who are wondering that, I wish I was you. But she is Woody Allen's wife slash former uh well, I guess they never were married. Adopted so daughter. was he her adopted father? I don't know. I think I yeah, he definitely he was a father figure to did, her. Did he? I I thought so. Sure. I could be completely wrong, but we yeah, she was her his, his kid daughter. and now she's his wife and she has been for over 20 years and um there's a lovely beautiful piece about her in Vulture that's so just sweet and nice and talks about what a wonderful life she has had with her husband slash dad of Woody Allen. <laughs> oh. So, I mean... Oh, God. That's so true, but so wrong. Oh, God. I'm just... I'm, Almost, I, I gotta She's her own stepmother. <laughs> Almost immediately. Almost she immediately is. when this when this article came out, um, people were talking, people were talking about this in the, the hours leading up to it, because apparently this was on the down low for a while, um, but almost immediately people were, were having issues, because it's written by Daphne Merkin, who is a Woody Allen friend, so... Yeah, she even talks in the article multiple times about having been a friend of his for years and years, so... Sorry, go on, Christine. Yeah, so already you have kind of journalistic integrity is questionable here. And Out she does window. she does admit that Woody Allen was in the room while they're doing this interview. So that's like having the accused murderer in the room with the victim and then being like, and please tell me about how he tried to murder you. Um bad it's my a bad analogy, but that's what I'm going with here. Um and reading the article I mean, Sunni, there's a there's a necessity for it. Sunni Previn is this very shadowy figure. She does not do interviews. She's not talked in significant detail about her 
background and her relationship with Woody Allen now that she is an adult. And most of it is to avoid the questions that we all have all always had about this. And so it would be great to have gotten a, a Sunni profile, one that is not so inherently biased, but it would have been interesting because I think there is some, some validity to what she says in terms of how she's been portrayed as this uh, Lolita figure, as this mentally impaired, uh, poor little girl from a third world country, um, all of that. Like the media narratives around her would have been really interesting for her to deconstruct. But the way this is written reads like, Soon Yi says he's not a rapist, so he's not a rapist. And that is the issue. And, and I don't discount the, the accusations that she's made against Mia Farrow. I, I hate to tell people this, but parents can pick favorites, and they do. And they can treat children that are biologically theirs versus children that are adopted differently. And I do think that there could be a heady dose of white privilege in how Mia Farrow raised Soon Yi. She also brings up that, that Mia Farrow treated her differently because she was an older child. She was not a little girl that could be molded and, and she had opinions. And all of that is valid. Um, I do ha take umbrage with the fact that both of them call her the, the media narrative that she was quote unquote retarded to be more of look at their ableism than anything else, but whatever, they're from a different generation. Um, but this reads like a puff piece overall. This reads like Mia Farrow coached her children and I'm the, I'm the proof. I am the proof that this is not true. Well, the, yeah, that was one thing. The Mia Farrow stuff actually really, really struck a chord with me because of the fact that I think there is definitely, I'm not questioning her memories. I'm not saying that everything she said was not true, but you also have to consider the fact that uh, she didn't have a great relationship with her mom, at least from her point of view. And she spent the last 20 years looking at that and after a while, you start to forget that there were any good times. And she talks about that, like, oh, I don't have any good memories of my mom at all. As it, and, and, you know, this piece is written as if, like, that's because there weren't any. And it's like, no, it's because you spent the last 20 years erasing them mentally. And so there's a lot of that. And this, you know, Daphne's not questioning much of that. It's very just like, tell me your story and I'm going to just put it into pretty words, you know. Well, yeah, exactly. It, it is a puff piece, and I, I think that everyone has been like, well, because Mia Farrow might have treated some children badly or might have treated all of her children badly, therefore Woody Allen is not a, a child molester or a pedophile or a sexual harasser or, or anything like that. And it's like, no, all of these things could be true. Like, Mia Farrow, just because Mia Farrow might be a fucked up individual or might have mistreated some of her children does not mean that other children experience the same thing, and it doesn't mean that Woody Allen is therefore just this maligned, this poor maligned man. I mean, you know, no matter how you cut it, no matter how you try to justify or describe it, Woody Allen is married to his stepdaughter. Like, to, to the girl that he helped to raise. And there's mm -hmm. no way that you can get around that. So there is a, a long history of the sexualization of very young girls in his films, in his writing, and in his personal life. 
So that so her saying, "Oh, I am happy with Woody." She probably is. They probably have a fine marriage. They are probably happy together as far as that goes. That does not mean that he did not also molest Dylan Farrow. Right. Well, and the fact that, I mean, she says, oh, well, we didn't get together until I was 21 and in college. Okay, that might be true. But the fact still remains that he, at some point, started to look at this girl who was a a daughter of his, essentially, uh, in a sexual way. And that is a problem. Yeah. And and the whole... And and she recounts in the story, he came into her life when she was 10 years old. Yep. 10 years old there's nothing we're we were we're you know we're talking about this with older men and 14 year old girls you know i mean whether or not a relationship took shape there she is i i cringe i you know it's there are no words yeah and, and we're talking about millie bobby brown but the, the the similarities there are striking you know it's yeah. the fact that we talk a lot about power dynamics he was her father. At, he came at her from a, a father-like relationship. That power dynamic is established, no matter what you want to say. And I think the people that swat away the whole thing with, well, biologically, they don't share genes, it's okay. Um, plenty of stepfathers still go to jail. You know, if, if it was an okay relationship, it wouldn't be prosecuted in a court of law. It's still fucking wrong. If you so, can say that's not how your mom used to do it, <laughs> oh, 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 why did you say that? Oh, oh my god! Oh. Oh, oh, I'm gonna die. Well, and and I mean, oh, go on. No, I was just gonna say. Well, then both Ronan Farrow and Dylan Farrow came out with statements about um, about this, and, and Dylan Farrow's statement was basically like. My mother did not coach me because this is one of the things that keeps on coming up right. over and over again. It's just like Mia Farrow coached her daughter and has like gaslit her and has convinced her that she was molested. It's like, no, she, she's basically like, my mother did not coach me. She supported me. I was molested. Like, you know, we, we've, we're talking so much about believing victims and about believing and and that includes everybody and that includes a 17 year old girl who uh many years later says that she was raped by or nearly raped by a man who's about to become the a supreme court justice and that also includes woody allen this this dylan farrell's like this happened this is a thing that happened to me and no amount of things that you say well are did you make a mistake no she did not make a mistake she was not told by her mother this is how this is what actually happened it's like no this happened to her and and ronan farrell came out with a very similar statement and then further iterated that this is is um bad journalism that the fact that you've got this woman who who's friends with them doing this interview, doing this puff piece, being like, well, actually everything is fine, is, is bullshit. And it's bad journalism and it, it reflects badly on the publications. It reflects badly on the news media. It reflects badly on everything. And, and to, to say that this is not like, that this just sort of um, ex, uh, exculpates Woody Allen is bullshit. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's so much that we already know, and we talk about believing victims, as you said, and, and I, I look at the whole concept of, well, you know, it, it didn't happen to her, and I think that there's, 
this real weird dichotomy, and I, I bring up why the Mia Farrow stuff, I, I love the concept of Mia Farrow spent 30 some odd years coaching this one girl for what? What has benefited her? She's not wealthy, you know, she's not in money. She's not in, you know, basking in film roles. So wh what is the benefit? That's what I always love about these accusations. When they get, they want their 15 minutes of fame. To what, be threatened regularly? Like, I'm not understanding what the benefit that you see here is. And and I've always thought it was really interesting that, and, and I think this article confirms it, that Mia Farrow, if she did treat Suni differently, I do think that there could be discussion about white privilege and the fact that Suni is not white. You know, she doesn't look like the other kids that were adopted. Um, and Dylan Farrow is a, a white girl. Um, and, and what, how does that play into things? How does that look at the narrative and how does that look at how he preys on, on young girls themselves? I mean, all of that is there. But this article isn't really interested in looking at that. It's interested in saying, it's perpetuating that narrative that Mia Farrow is crazy, she's a terrible mother, which as we all know, if you're a woman, is like the worst thing you can apparently ever do. Molesting your child is not that bad, but being a shitty mom should follow you <laughs> around for decades. Yeah. There were two moments in this article going back to power dynamics that really kind of leapt out at me, and I don't know if anybody else took notice. There was one point where the article's talking about like the knickknacks kind of around the house, and they have Soon Yi kind of quoted as saying, Well, if we get to divorce, you know, it's, a, it's a, Woody says I can take the teddy mm -hmm. bear doorstop. And then yeah. there, there's this other moment where she goes, well, Woody says, I, I, I can make jokes, but I just don't understand them. Yeah. Those two moments for me rubbed me so wrong. And just the question of the power dynamics in that relationship, how long they've been married, how young she was when they got together. Because she was, I mean, they, when they were married, she was, what, 21? Uh, I think a little bit older than that when they actually got how, married. But, but yeah. Or, yeah, I think they, they, they only dated for like seven weeks. I mean, how the narrative can be shaped over time. Not saying nothing, none of this happened to her. I very, I trust her memories, but she's ultimately, she's the second, you know, she's the next wife after, you know, she's the one who comes into the picture after the previous relationship. Mm -hmm. And I, it's... I cringe. It's, I, you know, I feel so bad for her. Yeah, I, I, the whole thing is just disturbing. And I think it goes back to that narrative that we don't want to say she's mentally, you know, deficient, but my husband tells me that I'm not smart. So there's that, that dichotomy there, which I think is, is really bizarre. Yet at the same time, and, and I've heard this before, and it's evident in the, the article, that she kind of wears the I've heard this for years that she wears the pants in the, that relationship that and and you see in certain instances where he tries to talk and she says stop interrupting me and she talks over him oh he's so naive he's so this like there it, it's a very weird relationship where I it almost feels like she is told she has all this power far more than him but when it comes to actually being a smart person, she is reminded that she is not. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I just it, it's I just so I think I think Woody Allen might have just caused her to scream into the void. Oh no. Did she? Yeah. I think Karen might actually the, have Her picture's still here. Yeah, it's still there. Karen, Hold on, let me Karen Slack message us if you're still alive. Bark twice if you're in Milwaukee. <laughs> it looks like Jeff Snyder is pitching a fit to Peter Scaretta on Twitter about one of his female writers being mean to him. Oh no, he's still going? This has been, this is like day three. Geek Girl Diva has been bringing up valid points about Jeff Snyder and being like, if, if, if this was anything else, he'd be fired. And then Jeff Snyder responded with, I think you're jealous that I have the talent and the career and the sources, you're average and it probably kills you inside. And then Peter Scaretta jumps in. He's like, she's average enough to write for us and we're glad to have her. I don't understand why you believe you're living in an episode of Entourage. And did, then, did he really say she's average enough to write yeah. for us, though? Wow. Well, he put it in quotes. Like, it's like, you know. Uh, okay. Like, Gee, fuck I was you. about to say, good God. And guys. then he says, then Jeff Snyder says, get your fucking writers under control, Peter. She's been horrible to me for years. If she can be mean, why can't I? If my words hurt her, why do hers not hurt me? Am I not human? <laughs> and he says, and then... Peter jumps in and says, why do I have to get her under control? It seems like you're the one off the chain here. Take a step back. Reread your tweets. Wow. I hate Jeff Snyder. Oh, she's back! back! Can we keep that in? Can we just say, I hate Jeff Snyder? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Of course. Because we all that'll hate be, Jeff Snyder. That'll be our closing quote. <laughs> oh my gosh. You guys, I am ready to throw Skype out the window. <sighs> all right. So, moving into some news, we have a couple of pieces of directing news this week that are maybe both ex- I don't know if I'm excited about both or not. I haven't decided. But the first one is, this one I'm definitely excited about, Paul Feig is bringing us more Henry Golding. And he has announced he will be directing the film Last Christmas, which stars Henry Golding and Amelia Clark. Which seems like a pairing I'm not sure about, but in Paul Feig I trust. So, um, yeah. I forgot to pull it up. What's this about? This movie? Anybody? What's the what? The Paul, the Paul um, Feig one? looking to pull yeah. it up as we speak. It is... This is the one that is co-written by Emma Thompson. Yes. Which sounds you. great. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's Emma Thompson and Bryony Kimmings. Oh my gosh, I love that name. I want that as my alias. Is this the uh, best name but ever? But it's supposedly the project is being kept under wraps. Nobody knows the plot. Um, and all we know is that it's going to be Amelia Clark and Henry Golding as a couple that travel to London for Christmas. Yes, please. I'm okay with all of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah. I just, I, you know, it's I, I keep waiting for her to get that non-Game of Thrones role that just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, she hasn't gotten and that yet. She has had such a weak run of things, and I keep wanting to see her fire her agent and do it again because I legitimately like her. So I, I hope this is the option where she shows us just what exactly she can do. And I can't think of a better filmmaker than Paul Feig to, you know, shepherd that to a nice, you know, a good I was, final, final product. 
I was gonna say, you know, for people who didn't think Blake Lively could act, and I think been saying she can for years. She just needs the right role. But if you think she couldn't act, Paul Feig proved that she could. So I think if anybody's gonna show whether Amelia Clark has talent or not, which I would say outside of Game of Thrones has been highly debatable, uh, this is this is the proving ground right here. Exactly. Yeah. I completely agree. Well, and the the fact that she is so good on Game of Thrones tells me it's there. She just needs the right filmmakers and the right directors, and she just hasn't had that exactly. outside yeah. of the show. So, but we know, yeah, we know that Paul Feig is the perfect filmmaker, especially for women. Like, he directs women so well that... Yeah, I, I think this is going to be a good one. I think this is going to be the one that finally turns her movie career in the right direction. At least I sure hope yeah. so. Um, All I know is that I better not hear Last Christmas the song. Um, I, I did hear song. a rumor this week that that song inspired the movie. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe that's not true, but that's the rumor I heard. So we'll see. It's the worst George Michael song. I'm just saying. <laughs> I actually kind of like it because it's so uh, because it's so terrible. <laughs> it's one of those songs that uh, I'm like, yeah, it's fun, whatever. Uh, Lauren, I have a question for you. Yeah. How do you feel about Carrie Fukunaga directing the next James Bond film? I do not give a good goddamn. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> If I never hear the name James Bond ever again, I can die happy. Like, I am so goddamn sick of this. I was like, fine, he's a good director, great. You know, he's a good screenwriter, good. I, I hope I hope that he does a good job with it. But who gives a shit? Honestly, like, at this point, who gives a shit? I literally heard someone screaming in the background from somebody's <laughs> microphone. And I felt like they were commenting on your hatred <laughs> Oh, I just assumed it was Lauren's roommate. That's what I thought. Is it your roommate? I think think it might be, like, my roommate thudding around or something like that. But, yeah, Yeah. consider that emphasis. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's perfect. Um, Yeah, I I heard this the other day, and I don't really... Much like Star Wars, Bond is not something that I really care about. I go see the new movies... Most of them, I didn't see the last one, but I don't have a, a skin in the game on, on terms of whether I like them or not. But Karen Fukunaga's awesome. He's hot as shit, but he's awesome too. Um, and I, I've liked almost everything that I've seen him direct. I, I didn't watch season one of True Detective because I didn't care, but, but I've heard that's good. I love his adaptation of June Air. So this, this is promising. Now, if they're going to do the rumor that I heard about who's going to play Bond, I think Craig is still in this one, but you never know. So, I don't I don't care. But Carrie Fukunaga is awesome. He deserves to direct a lot more stuff. Kim? The directors in the Bond move, the Bond franchise, this is a producer's franchise. They, I took, I had a James Bond class in film school where we watched like 98% of them. And James Bond is, unfortunately, the way this has always been, there's director, the directors come and go. It's, this is a producer's franchise. So I, I can't speak very well to him as a director. I mean, looking at some of the content, I'm excited to where it can go. I, my big sticking point is Daniel Craig 
staying around again bores me to tears and I need this if they're going to keep doing this this needs to go in a different direction and I don't know if this is I mean it a new a new young hip director great but if you still have tired boring Daniel Craig who is approaching Roger Moore levels of age in terms of the top end I'm not as interested I thought I hated Spectre. I thought Spectre was horrible and terrible and it, you know, if they can fix it, great, but my and my expectations are really low. Yeah. Just let Henry Cavill do it, god damn it. He's crying every day about it. Just he's, let him do it. He'd be more of the same though. I don't care. He <laughs> wants it so badly. Oh, he's the little boy with the toy. Exactly why he shouldn't get it. <laughs> all all of Bond is just more of the same. That's that's been the problem with that's been the problem with Bond since the 1980s. And just god, just let him die. Exactly. Just let it end. Oh my god. I know that we've got to keep the little boys happy or something like that, but dear lord, just end it. End it. Yeah, I think I'm I'm leaning toward toward what Lauren says. Like the only thing that perked my interest was the attachment of Kerry Fukunaga because I do love him as a filmmaker, but I am really tired of this franchise and I'm someone who grew up with them. I saw A View to a Kill in the theater. You know, a couple of other ones, too. And, you know, I grew up with these movies, and I I have always loved them, problems notwithstanding, you know. But I'm just so ready to move on. This is not a character that transcends the Me Too movement. This is not a character that can even really should exist in the time of Me Too. But they're just going to insist on continuing it, and I just, I, I don't understand why and you know whenever you point out well it's you know there's been 24 films this isn't really a a modern character that should exist anymore then people go well but there's like why don't they stop making these movies then or this other franchise and like i don't really care if they stop making franchises or not but this is one that needs to be retired it's done it needs to go yep the problem's the problems that they've had getting this one off the ground shows just how tired and I think this is a sign, you know, that it just it needs to it needs to probably go away. Well, they always I, seem to have trouble getting these off the ground. You know, there's always problems that's every usually production. When they, so. That's when they have well, I mean when they go between bond to bond. Yeah, there there's sizable gaps, but if they're bringing Daniel Craig again, but after all that drama the last time him you know talking about how miserable he was and how he doesn't want to do it again it's like just let's let it die but it makes me really sad to see it die with specter because i thought that was a piece of shit karen's the bad mom that won't let poor little henry cavill have his bond vice you know actually (laughs) as i'm thinking about this i'm thinking about the fact that all these all these men are talking about whoever gets chosen as Bond, it's like a 10-year commitment, and that's all they do. So now I realized, wait, maybe I do want Henry Cavill to be Bond. So it'll tie him up for 10 years where he doesn't do anything else. Well, it, it, <laughs> yeah, I it just heard Henry Cavill few... tied up in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the few roles the man is tailored to play. I mean... 
He's genetically created in a lab to play Bond. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a very good point. It's, if anybody is, it, it's like Pierce Brosnan. It's, if anybody is created specifically to play that character, it is Henry Cavill. Yeah, but Pierce Brosnan had like a three-year audition for James Bond when he was in Remington Steel, so. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, it was, he couldn't, he couldn't get to it because of, I heard he was being looked at, yeah, early in the 80s. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, he was supposed to be Bond before Timothy Dalton, actually. Yes, yeah. So, uh, okay. So, yeah, let Henry Cavill play Bond and nothing else for the next ten years. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It'll keep Kristen happy, and that's what matters. It'll get me to pay to go see a Bond movie is what it would do. It would get me to not go see Bond movies so that's cool. Or Guy Ritchie could just give us the uncle sequel. Exactly! No no one wants that. that. (laughs) Lauren, stop it! Stop talking nonsense! Let's chat about some trailers, shall we? We had a couple of those this week and there are a couple on the list that I didn't even notice were there so I haven't even seen them. I didn't know there was a trailer for Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. What? Yes, there it's is. Was it just the teaser? Yeah, it's just a teaser. Okay, the short thing I saw. Yeah, um, so the Jordan Peele, if you don't know, is redoing the Twilight Zone for CBS All Access, which is their streaming service, which I don't have, but God damn it, now I might have to get it. <laughs> so he's going to serve as narrator and host of the revival of this uh, Twilight Zone reboot, and they released the first footage it's not really footage it's just the opening credits of the original twilight zone but it's with jordan peele's voice doing the rod serling stuff and i'm in i mean i love the twilight zone the twilight zone is one of my favorite shows and i'm so excited to see what he can do cool yeah he's he's a good director for this uh, and he's a good presence for it so it, it should be interesting well, I kind of liked in this trailer, because there was some Rod Serling in there, too. I kind of, I heard Rod Serling primarily. But, and I will, I will admit this, I admit this to very few people. I have a long-standing thing for Rod Serling that I don't, can't quite <laughs> explain. Uh, you have some of the most interesting crushes, honestly. I know, and you that do. is a... <laughs> you know, after all these episodes, your crush on Rod Serling makes perfect sense. <laughs> thank you i'm glad it makes sense to somebody but it's for long it goes back to my jack webb days and hearing rod serling's voice in there again it was like thank you for paying the series at least some homage jordan peele it was like i respect that guy incredibly already and the fact that they kind of kept at least some of the nostalgia for the series in this teaser. It gave me some real hope to where it can go. So I'm excited. I just, you know, I've never told anybody. I, I've apparently never told Kim this about my whole dream of having a Rod Serling biopic at some point. Yeah. The man really, the man was really super interesting. Oh, completely. And yeah, and I, I. I've heard stories he was married to the same woman for his entire life, but I've heard that he was, like, a serious ladies' man, and I've been saying that there needs to be a biopic. Certain with those, people With those suits, yes. I see he could very well have been a ladies' <laughs> man. Certain people bear a passing resemblance, I'm just saying. 
Ooh. Yeah. So. Oh, I have somebody in mind. I'm just saying somebody could pull it off. He could you do the voice. You need to tell me off air. I'll sure I'll mention it at the end of the review section. <laughs> we know who she's talking about. Yeah, we all, we, most people mm-hmm. should know who it is. Um, so moving into other, tra- wait, when is Twilight Zone going to be available? Do we know? Sometime in 2019. Coming in 2019 to CBS All Access, which like four people pay for. Um, (laughs) uh, moving on to another trailer for a service that like very few people pay for, but everybody shares their password. Netflix released the trailer for the haunting of Hill house. (laughs) That's what we got. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there as the, the one kind of weird defender. So, this is directed by Mike Flanagan, who did Hush, which I really, really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm kind of for the love for Shirley Jackson that we're getting, good or bad, okay? So we're, we have this, and then we also have, which I just watched the screener for last night, uh, We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Yeah. That's, see, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm very interested to see what Lauren says about the, the movie, because I've, I read the book, and... I didn't 100% love the book, and the movie is very interesting, especially for these times. But I'm really into this whole adoration now of Shirley Jackson. And I watched the trailer for this. Yes, this does not look to be the original novel. By which you mean it has nothing to do with the original novel. (laughs) Yes. I mean, character names are the same, but that's about it. But at the same time... I was still really creeped out by this trailer. And it's got some great people in it. McKenna Grace, who is the best thing about Lifetime's The Bad Sea remake. She's almost too good for that movie. Um, Carla Gugino's in this. Timothy Hutton. I didn't even know he was still out there making movies. Henry Uh, Thomas. I I was just looking at the IMDb. (laughs) I will defend Timothy Hutton to the death. And then I'm noticing they found Henry Thomas, which makes me a little happy. Okay, well, I haven't (laughs) forgiven him yet for movies um and then lulu wilson's in this as well lulu wilson was the little girl from um all those like what is it ouija and a couple of those other horror movies she's also really good so i'm i'm cautiously optimistic but i know that this is not an adaptation of the novel no well that that's that's the thing that's one of the things that i I pointed out on twitter like watching the trailer i i i am interested in this for mike flanagan because he's a good filmmaker and he's a good horror filmmaker so I'm willing to go along with it for him the rest of it like they're they're calling it the haunting of hell house which is the title of the book and literally nothing that happens in the trailer has fuck all to do (laughs) with the book so I was like you could have called this the haunted or haunted house or Hill House or, the, like or the, anything. You could have literally called this movie anything without associating it with the, with Shirley Jackson's book. So on the one hand, I'm like, okay, well, if they're calling it this, maybe it does have something to do with the book. Maybe somehow, somewhere, I I don't know, but it doesn't look like it, and and so that automatically gives me pause. Although there is like that very brief reference to the original version of The Haunting from 1961, the dancing and the um. Uh, the conservatory 
I mean, who the hell knows? But this doesn't even look like the 1999 version. I well, was going to say, we, I'm pretty sure the only reason they called it the Haunting of Hill House was to separate it from the 99 remake. <laughs> it could be, but, I mean, it's interesting because they do, they are stretching a, a novel into a 10-episode series. So, I mean, there's going to be some room for some reinterpretations, perhaps? I don't know. Well, and if they get the Hobbit... The Hobbit shows us that you, you shouldn't stretch a novel into any. If you have well, to stretch well, it, it, can work and though. Fuck no. And, the ha- and Shirley Jackson's book is like 150 pages. I mean, this is not a long novel. So if if what they're doing is they're telling like the backstory and then they're going into the story of the novel itself and then maybe what happens after that, I, I could see where that would work. Although I'm still not convinced. Yeah. Well, so if it's a 150 page novel, we're really getting into fucking Hobbit territory. Yeah, no, seriously. Like, I don't know how they're going to do that, but we'll see. The Citizen Dame podcast does not condone the fucking of Hobbits. (laughs) (laughs) It comes comes out October 12th, in case anybody's curious. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure all of that will be lost in the Hobbit. (laughs) All right, and so we also got a trailer this week for the movie Stan and Ollie, which is Steve Coogan and John C. Riley playing. I always get them mixed up. Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Oliver Hardy. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Did you? What did you guys think of this trailer? Um, this looks like a standard biopic. Yeah. You know. Um, I, I, we've, they've done several Stan and Ollie stories. Um, I want to say the one that I remember was, was that Stan and Ollie? Or was that Laurel and Hardy? Uh, one of them had Jeremy Northam in it, and it was for TV. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. I'm not big on either comedy duo, personally. I don't really care for either. Um, but, uh, I said Stan and Ollie, Laurel and Hardy. You meant Abbott and Costello, right? (laughs) There you go! Thank you! Thank you, Karen. Um, either way, I still don't care. Um, but, I mean, to, Riley and Coogan look good. Um, they certainly look the parts. And this should be interesting if you've never heard of them in terms of... I'm always saying there's so many great actors that deserve biopics. This is certainly a bit more niche, even though most people who know classic film will know of this. Um, but, but yeah, it just looked pretty, pretty standard to me. There wasn't really anything special, uh, for it. And considering that the director of the movie is predominantly known for HBO series and the James McAvoy film Filth, eh, not really big on it. As, as someone who was raised with both Abbott and Costello and Laurel and Hardy, I'll start out by saying, ouch. But, (laughs) Kristen is wrong yet again. Yep. I know. (laughs) I, uh, well, I was pleasantly surprised by this trailer, and I think it's probably, I think it's my connotation. I know everybody loves John C. Riley, but I think I bring in connotations of the Will Ferrell movies, and then for some reason, when I heard this was coming with those two in it, I had thoughts of that god-awful Farrelly Brothers Three Stooges thing in my head. So I was absolutely panicked and you know i was like oh god what the hell am i walking into i mean like like kristen like you just said i'd say it looks fairly standard but i was pleased to see it looking standard 
I thought they looked great. I thought they both they both actually seemed like their parts. So coming from somebody who was expecting absolute bargain basement shit to see it look, you know, all right, I was actually pleasantly surprised. Lauren? Uh, yeah, I mean, this. I, I kind of agree. I agree with Kristen in the sense that, I mean, she's wrong about Abner Costello and Laura <laughs> Hardy. Um, but I agree with her in the sense that it, it looks a lot like a pretty standard biopic. It was written by the same screenwriter who did Philomena, which is a, it's an excellent film. Oh, good. Coogan, so, I liked that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have some hope for that. I actually quite like John, both John C. Riley and Steve Coogan, both as comedians and as serious actors. And I think that they could strike a very interesting balance. You know, I don't know that much about Laurel and Hardy beyond their, their, um, films obviously but i don't know much about them as as people um and so it's it's interesting that they're making these references to the fact that um that stan laurel was like more of the the writer behind all of this that he was kind of forming a lot of the skits whereas of course if you know them as their uh as their screen personas oliver hardy is like this big sort of boisterous very dominant character and, and he's always pushing Laurel around but so it, it, I think that it has the potential to be really interesting and I'm definitely in it both for the writer and for um, for the two of them in the lead roles as soon as I saw the first um, photo of the two of them in costume I went oh I think this is going to be a sleeper for the Oscars this year because it didn't have a release it didn't have any distribution and the trailer, to me, I agree, it does look pretty standard, but it also looks like a pretty standard biopic that's very well done. It looks like it has good high production value. The performances, I guarantee, are going to be great. And uh, it did just get bought at Toronto, so it still doesn't have a release date yet, but the fact that it has been purchased and that it has a trailer now, it will be out this year. And I say, I mean, look for this. I think this is going to definitely be below the line it's definitely going to make a play in things like costume and production design and makeup and stuff like that but i say also look out for john c Riley and steve coogan to pop up in acting races and things like that i think that this could really could really be one to watch so i'm personally excited for it i think it's i think it's going to be a good one so um but yeah no release date yet a movie that does have a release date is um, I don't know which one to go to next. Let's go to Mary Poppins Returns because that will be out this year. Um, we finally we'd had a, a teaser a while back, but we finally got the full trailer for Mary Poppins Returns, which shows Mary coming back to see the Banks children to help the Banks children once again. But now the Banks children are all grown up, and we have um. Michael, who is recently widowed, it looks like, and he has three kids, and his sister is there to help, and so Mary comes back to help them, too, and what did you guys think of this trailer? Um, I'm still not 100% sold on it. It looks like a Rob Marshall film, which is what I immediately said. If I didn't know Rob Marshall wasn't directing this, I would say, wow, it's really evident that he is. But... It's going to be unique to watch this in the context of knowing that Saving Mr. Banks has been done by Disney as well. And we've had so many nanny movies. This The immediate comparison is that, oh, this is just Nanny McPhee again. But 
Emily Blunt, I give her props for sounding like Julie Andrews. She gets the cadences right. I do like the homage to the chalk drawings that they're doing. Lin-Manuel Miranda's accent is not atrocious, <laughs> but it's it's not Dick Van Dyke level bad, but it's still noticeably like, oh, okay. But I, I'm interested. I'm hoping that this is good. I want this to be good. I've not been big on Disney's live action remakes of their animated films, so I'm hoping that this undoes it. The, the surprising thing was that I did not know some of these classic actors were involved here. So when uh, you see Angela Lansbury as the balloon lady, I was sitting there thinking, wait, did I miss Angela Lansbury being cast? And it's a great throwback because she was in another Disney movie playing pretty much the same character as Mary Poppins. She did bed knobs and broomsticks. So I'm really excited. I, I would love it if there was like an Eglin Time Price reference at some point. Uh, I did not know that David Warner was going to be in this as Admiral Boom. And the biggest surprise... Is Meryl's in this? <laughs> Did anybody know Meryl? I, when they show Meryl at the end of the trailer, I was thinking, is this a parody? Is this a joke? Because it just seems like that came out of left field. And I know she's done Rob Marshall movies before. She did Into the Woods. But I was sitting there thinking, like, of course Meryl's in this. Um, yeah, I actually did know that she was going to be in it. I've known that for a long time. But it was. I thought it was fun to see her in the trailer. Well, I'm glad you knew that, Karen. You didn't tell me. <laughs> I just thought everyone knew. The only one knew. I knew about was Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. I figured Dick Van Dyke would be in it in some capacity. It's cool that he is. I'm excited. He's playing, because in, in the original Mary Poppins, not only did he play Bert, the chimney sweep, he also played the... The bank manager. Yes. And so now he's playing the son of that character. So, I don't know. I think that'll be fun. So, uh, Kim, what did you think? See, I will say the, I, I will restate kind of what I said on Twitter. Ben Wishaw and Lin-Manuel Miranda take my money. Uh, those, the, I will go see pretty much anything those two do. They may, they both make me really happy. I think it, I thought it looked fine. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised with Emily Blunt. That was kind of what I wasn't. I like her, but that was kind of one where it was like, wow, I don't, I don't know if I see this. And I will say that trailer won me over from where I was sitting. Um, Rob Marshall aside, I have no idea, but that casting is likable enough that I'll, I can go into this with an open mind, and I thought it looked really pretty. Lauren? Yeah, despite Rob Marshall, I've been excited for this ever since Like I saw the first teaser trailer for it, and uh, I got choked up nearing the end of this trailer, so I guess that this is made for, for people like me. <laughs> um, yeah, it just, it hit, at least with the trailer, it hit the right notes. It hit, it hit everything that sort of I, I remember loving about Mary Poppins when I was a kid. And um, and I think that it could be it could be really good. It's a great cast. I mean, I'm I would be there even if not even if the rest of it didn't look any good. Um, I would be there for the cast. Yeah, this movie is definitely made for people like Lauren and me. You know, people that have emotions and hearts. Um. <laughs> <laughs> We're not hollow inside. <laughs> exactly. I am going to just fully admit that I sobbed watching this at one point because I grew up Mary Poppins is my all-time favorite Disney live-action movie I grew up watching it so many times Feed the Birds is one of my all-time favorite songs and when I saw this trailer like it just 
everything, like, well, okay, so when I first heard about the movie, I was concerned. When I heard it was a sequel and not a remake, I was a little bit, I felt better about it. When I saw the the teaser, I was just like, okay, all right, I think we're going to be okay. And when I saw this trailer, I went, yep, this is exactly what I hoped it was going to look like and, and what I hoped it would turn out to be, but was afraid it wasn't. So I'm... I am so excited for this movie. I can't wait, and I cannot wait to take my mom to see it, because I know she's just going to love it. We're just going to, it's just going to be a great thing for us to go do together. So, I'm very excited. I can't wait. And I love Emily Blunt, and she needs to be in everything, so. Uh, That comes out, is it still December 25th? Yeah. Uh, No, December 19th. Release date is December 19th. They moved Yeah, they did. So I'm I'm glad I will be there. So uh, okay, and we also had a trailer for I don't know if you guys know about this new up and coming franchise called Marvel, <laughs> <laughs> and that they're you know continuing their march toward di- you know diversity with yet another. Oh wait, so we got the Captain Marvel trailer this week. I know you all didn't think it was that exciting. Anybody want to correct that statement? I I enjoyed this one a lot. It's a very gimmicky trailer, but I liked the gimmickry of it. So the the her into hero element, it's it's selling it to the things that we need it to sell to. So I love the the repetition of of her falling down as a little girl as a teenager as an adult and then getting back up I loved all of that imagery so it got me it got me where I I wanted to be got and I love Brie Larson I would follow her wherever uh it's directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck who did Half Nelson and I think that movie is fantastic I I love this if anything I'm loving how they're cutting the trailer to other songs so just look up the trailer for this that's cut to Ariana Grande's God is a Woman because it, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I did see that one. That looked good. That was yeah. cool. <laughs> Lauren, you felt a little bit more indifferent to this if I <laughs> understood you correctly. I I mean, yeah. I, I, I like Brie Larson. I think she's going to do a great job. I hope that this is going to be a really good film. It really looks like literally every other Marvel film. Um, it's yet again another origin story I'm going to die with the number of origin stories I have seen in this goddamn franchise every single film is an origin story um it it feels like I think that she's going to be great I'm certain that the cast is going to be great we're probably going to have some good action you know I I am absolutely in support of a female-led superhero movie uh you know another you know ooh we have a whole two now um that that being said, I just I don't care enough about the Marvel franchises to care about this, and I don't I really am afraid that this this film is just going to be an elaborate setup for the second part of Infinity War, and that's like I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of all of this, and this doesn't look like it's anything different or anything special. Kim, as someone who likes Marvel. Well, looking at the release dates, yeah. Because this one, what sandwiches nice and neatly in between right before uh, the second Avengers. But I... To to sum up where I sat with this movie, I was instantly reminded of how much better I, I... 
I, I found at the end of the trailer, I went, I want to watch Wonder Woman again. I, I respect the shit out of Brie Larson. I would like to, you know, I think she's going to be awesome, and I truly hope this movie is going to be awesome. But they rubbed me the wrong way with the start of it, having Samuel L. Jackson na- narrate the whole damn thing. And it just, to me, it felt like, and I'm sure this wasn't even the intention, but I I, I felt like this was Marvel going, see, fanboys, she might be a chick, but look, Nick Fury's here, too. You know, Nick Fury and Coulson are both here. This is still Marvel. You know, come see it anyway. And I, I had ran the Wonder Woman trailer at, right afterwards and seeing her narrate it for herself, it just... It didn't feel right to me. I'll still, I'll still be there. I still have hopes for it. I'm there for every Marvel origin story. I'm fine with it. I love all the Marvel movies. I just, th- I, I wanted a different trailer. I think for me, the the Samuel L. Jackson narrating didn't bother me at all because Nick Fury is kind of the tying character to all of these stories, and this is establishing that she's part of this shared universe. She's not. Even though, yeah, this is her standalone movie and it's an origin story, she's not alone in this. There, there's this whole collection of people that she'll be joining into. So I didn't really care so much about that. Um, as far as the character, I mean, I'm excited. I I love the Marvel movies. I don't think that they're necessary. Most of them are, are high art. I don't think that they're, you know, even amazing cinema. But I think they're fun. I enjoy the heck out of them. I I will see every one of them until they stop making them. But, yeah. I mean, this trailer I thought was just... It was exactly what I expected to get from the Captain Marvel trailer. And so it's funny when I see people get so, like, Oh my gosh, the trailer's coming tomorrow! Like, they count down to the trailer. It's like, I don't care about the trailer. Just show me the damn movie! <laughs> so, that's me, generally speaking. And that's how I felt with this. Like, okay... Cool, I'm glad I saw the trailer, but let's let's move on to next March when I get to see it. And this does release on International Women's Day. So, if if one more person mentions her not smiling, oh my gosh, video, I, know. I will reach across and bitch slap somebody through mm-hmm. Twitter. I have been seeing that on all sides, and I am so fucking done with it. Yep, boys are stupid. Scary. Why are men? Why? Why are they? Why are men? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about some movies that we saw this week. Uh, let's start with not men. Um, Lauren. Well, <laughs> you saw a couple of things. What would you like to talk about? I saw a couple of things. I'm not going to go into gr- a great deal of detail about this, but I just wanted to say that the nun has been maligned. <laughs> uh, it, I, I loved it. I had a great time. I mean, is it as good as the other Conjuring films? No, it's not. But I I enjoyed the crap out of that stupid movie. Um, it's. I mentioned this on Twitter, and I mentioned this a couple of times. It really reminded me of some in in plot, not in imagery, but in plot. It really reminded me a lot of like late '60s, early '70s uh, Hammer films. Um, that that sort of very basic, simplistic, kind of screwy uh, uh, horror stories, and I just I enjoyed the crap out of it. So, what's the matter with you people? That's all I have to say. <laughs> 
It's got a gothic Romanian nunnery in it, for God's sake. There's, like, evil nuns, Check. and there are pentagrams. Check. Check. Portals to Check. hell, you know, come on. <laughs> come on. What is there not to love about this movie? Um, then there are the other films that I saw. So I, I do want to talk about Other Side of the Wind, which I had the dubious pleasure of seeing on a big screen at New York Film Festival. It is, I think that its actual film festival premiere is um, at the end of next week. And this, so this is the final film supposedly by Orson Welles, although I'm not quite certain whether whether we want to put um, uh, the blame on poor Orson who is dead and can't defend himself. Uh, the plot, such as it is, is uh, it all takes place in one day, which is the birthday of the director, Jake Hannaford, played by John Huston who we always knew was amazing, but apparently in this he's revelatory, according to the fanboys. Um, and he's currently at work on his latest film, which is also called The Other Side of the Wind. So we've got some nice meta-narrational overlap there. Uh, the film is in a great deal of trouble, largely because um, the studio boss is threatening to withdraw funding and the film has no script and the leading man has vanished. Um, the entire film takes place at Hannaford's birthday party where he interacts with film critics and cineasts and biographers and his old Hollywood cronies. He gets progressively drunker and in the midst of all of this is attempting to show scenes uh, from his as yet incomplete masterpiece. This is an absolute disaster. Like this movie, I have I wrote a great deal about it because there's a lot of interesting stuff that's contained within it, particularly if you think about it as, as something that Orson Welles that would is going to wind up being the last film that Orson Welles made. Um, this was a film again that Welles never completed. He did all of the principal photography for it. He edited 40 minutes of it, um, and then he he kept on basically he kept on running out of funding. Uh, even producing this film took forever, so actually completing principal photography took forever because he kept on running out of money and people would, you know, actors that he had hired would say like, I can't do this anymore, roles were recast, uh, bits and pieces were removed, stuff like that. This was a film that was completed by um, Peter Bogdanovich and two other editors who worked closely with Wells based upon Wells' work notes and um, also, I believe on Peter Bogdanovich's diaries from the time period. So this is a this is a cobbled together film that really wasn't edited or produced by Orson Welles, and we're glad of that because it is a total fucking disaster. Um, I anyone seriously anyone who watches this movie and says, "Oh, this is a masterpiece," is just has never watched a Welles film. And I question whether or not they have ever watched a film at all. The, these, it's, <laughs> it's confusing. It's amateurish. Like the photo, the actual photography, uh, not of the film within the film, but the, the framing narrative, is almost all um, very shaky cameras. I know that some of them are are handheld cameras, and it's very murky lighting. It's like watching someone else's home movies, but it's someone that you don't even know. So you're struggling to comprehend who the hell these people are, why I care about them, and uh, and what the meaning of any of this is. You know, it's it's a deeply bitter film. It is 
entirely about sort of the ugliness of Hollywood and the ugliness of artistry and and how you know no one understands these famous and and uh, brilliant artistic directors and it, it's a it's a dreadful failure like that that's what it comes down to like if this is the film that Wells was going to make then they should have respected him enough to be like, okay, we're gonna leave it in the vault. We're not going to try to put this together because it's an ugly film. It's an upsetting film. It is almost misogynist, uh, whether intentional or not, but that's how it comes off. And there is no reason for this film to exist except as a historic document and as uh, for interest in from uh, uh, well scholars. That's pretty much But it. is John Huston a revelation? John Huston <laughs> is a revelation if you have never seen John Huston in anything ever. <laughs> I mean Houston Houston is great. Uh, and and he's probably the only really good thing going for this film. And that and that's saying, you know, the, this film has actors like uh, Mercedes McCambridge in it. Um, and Lily Palmer and Susan Strasberg. So the, these are not like low-grade actors at any level. Houston really does dominate, and he's supposed to. Uh, he's the director, but he's you know he's in the middle of a film that just is is completely incoherent. Awesome. Well, that's going to be hitting Netflix, so <laughs> y'all can watch it for yourselves and form your own conclusions about why Lauren is probably right. So. <laughs> um, Kim, you saw a couple of looks like some interesting things this week. Uh, two incoherent messes. Oh, I'd say awesome. would be the most appropriate way to go into it. Keeping the train yeah, rolling. Going around, oh, I guess. Just thinking back on these two movies. So to to start, I screened uh, Mandy at the kind of the big end of last week. I'm pretty sure Nicholas yeah. Cage is calling you right now to complain about it. <laughs> How did Elijah Wood has been tweeting so hard for that damn movie and it's like how dare you malign my production company's film. God, what an amateur film school piece of shit. That's I the film so the film little yet another nostalgic love letter to the 1980s. You're kind of dropped into the middle of nowhere where Nicolas Cage's character is living with Andrea Riseborough. Am I pronouncing that right, Kristen? Riseborough. Riseborough. Her character. I, and I can't go into much more than that because the script doesn't fucking tell you anything. You, you know, something's happen something seems to be wrong. It's kind of a dystopian-ish universe, but the script doesn't really bother to set any particular scene. They're just kind of there. They're happy. They're, you know, they're a couple. And then she gets, in, there. there's a cult, a religious cult that you really don't know much about who end up basically kidnapping her and end up in, it's spoiler alert if you truly care, burning her alive it's this film wants to be heavy metal this film wants to be deep this film wants to be intense it's a misogynist incoherent mess um cage is good beyond i mean cage is cage is interesting throughout the first half and then the final act you know because it turns into a revenge film in the final act he becomes nicholas cage 
to me, it did not work as a horror movie. Uh, there were a couple, a few interesting moments of kind of gore horror, but beyond that, nothing that truly startled, truly did anything for me. What truly bothered me was the film's intense, intense misogyny. You know, Reesboro was Reesboro was damn good. She was interesting, but there was very little for her to do. The other female characters, basically, unless you go to IMDb, the only name you really associate with them is whore, because that's all the film calls them, and that's all you know you come to know them as. It's because they kind of lean as this on the religious extremism narrative as some kind of excuse for the misogyny. Uh, pretty much the only, aside from the performances being interesting, the only real good thing I can lean on this film was, I think it looked really nice in it throughout. They kind of used some very interesting kind of lenses, very interesting lighting that kind of is cool, especially when you start playing in with some of the gore horror. But the script was shit. It didn't work on, you know, it didn't real to me it didn't work as a didn't work as a horror movie. I'm not sure quite what they were wanting to do. I'm, the 96% or whatever the hell it's getting on Rotten Tomatoes will undoubtedly disagree with me and tell me that I missed something, but I don't get the hype whatsoever on this film. Is it, and that is out, I believe it is out now. It's been kind of getting a slow kind of release since Sundance, and I think it's probably hit one of its more wider points. Yeah. And the second one I saw, and this comes out, will be close to the release date like when this eventually comes out. I screened The Sisters Brothers this week. Um, another just, I, I don't know what's in the water with these script writers. And this is one I know I'm going to be in the minority as well. The best part about this, I thought the performances were all incredible incredibly interesting um it's kind of you're following two kind of parallel narratives essentially john c Riley and joaquin phoenix is the aforementioned sisters brothers and then they are tailing john morris and herman warm i believe jake gyllenhaal and reese ahmed as they're kind of looking to take a kind of alchemic experience Thing that Reza Ahmed discovered to get to strike it rich in the Oregon gold rush. So it's kind of revisionist western e kind of that, the look of the westerns that have been so hip right now. The performances on all four fronts are great, and I know I will kind of, I, Kristen, we, you know, we had this discussion. I've never looked at Jake Gyllenhaal in the past. I've never found him interesting at all. And I will tell you, this movie got me looking, got me, got me interested, got me looking. I liked the hell out of him in this movie. Perhaps it... Obviously, <laughs> you were not there back in 2001 when he made Bubble Boy and your world changed. Okay. Or she was there for that, Bubble Boy and that's a problem. Earth-shaking moment of Bubble Boy. Um, I, a couple people I talked to thought he was a little over the top but there was a very nice beard and kind of a British accent going on, so I was there for it. I was quite, I was... Was it a good British accent? I didn't mind it. 
I I will I not say good or bad because I tend to only have an ear for really bad ones. It didn't strike me as that. When I go see it on the first, I'll be the accent judge because that's what I do. <laughs> and, but the that trailer mark that that trailer wants it, and they still and based on some of the posters I was emailed this week. They really want that movie to be a comedy. They really want to pass this off as a comedy, and it's not a comedy. That the pacing is slow, sluggish, weird, weird tonal shifts. Um, I will say, trigger warning: if horse, you know, if violence to animals bothers you, there's a lot going on with the horse in this movie. That's just, that I found incredibly disturbing. If so, trigger warning there. I, nothing aside from the even the performances couldn't save just how long and slow this movie felt. I think it was two hours and one minute, and God, it felt like a three-hour movie for me. There was just nothing, you know, very awkward tonal shifts between moments of humor to you know that heavy drama, and it. It doesn't. It doesn't pan out, and I. I would say honestly, skip it and save it for you know, watching it for free when you can. It's. I. It was not. I. This movie was clearly not made for me. And that's out next week or this. It would be probably. It would be this Friday whenever this comes out. Okay. Um. So we're kind of we're we're running long. So Kristen. Um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about Mulholland Drive, and then you committed to watching the entire season of Maniac in one day because you know, I'm me. (laughs) Um, Okay, so yeah, I um, technically I don't know if we're running along because we had that time where we lost you. Well, we have like it's almost ten o'clock in the morning, so. Oh no worries. Um, so I mean, if we want to just hold it, no, go for it, just quickly. Okay. Um, so I finally took what Lauren has been yelling at me for, like, the last six months. Or probably <laughs> the last year, actually, to do. So I watched Mulholland Drive. Woohoo! Um, it's a David Lynch film. <laughs> so I can't tell you if I liked it. I think I did. Um, it, it was certainly interesting. You definitely and, liked it. Uh, I don't know if I liked it. I can appreciate it. Uh, it's, it was certainly memorable. So there's that. And I'm still not 100% sure I understood what the hell the plot was. But my my biggest issues, apparently, I'm not supposed to ask questions about because it makes no sense. And that's how it's supposed to be. So overall, I'm happy I saw it, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, I think you are. I think it's my takeaway. <laughs> um, and then yesterday, I actually had a crap ton of stuff to do. And I said, fuck it, I'm not doing any of it, because I sat and watched all ten episodes of Maniac yesterday. Uh, And I don't binge watch anything. Anything. I don't, unless it's something that I've seen a million times. But I sat and I watched all ten episodes of this. And I loved it. I loved it a lot. Uh, It's not as emotionally soul-ripping as The Leftovers. The Leftovers, like, make you bemoan your own mortality and become incredibly dark and existential and sad. It's not that. This is a bit more hopeful. <laughs> but it's... Kerry Fukunaga knows how to use a camera. He's got some beautiful cinematography. Everybody except Jonah Hill is fantastic. Jonah Hill is just there. 
and I know he's supposed to play the straight man who's just utterly depressed and paranoid schizophrenic, but I thought he was the most uninteresting character. He was kind of boring. I almost wished they'd gotten a more dynamic performer to play the character just because he would have been more compelling. He's just blown out of the water by Emma Stone, who is utterly amazing in this role. It's so good to see her in something where I think she's not trying to kind of capitalize on on awards or get an Oscar. She's really good in it. Uh, I really, really want a screwball scientist comedy now starring Justin Theroux and Sonoya Mizuno, who play the scientists in this movie, because they have just the quirkiest, the way that they act is just amazing. I want them to remake like Monkey Business or like the ex-Mrs. Bradford, like a detective story or something, because it's it's amazing. You have to see their chemistry. Sally Field is really good. She's got a really fucked up relationship with Justin Theroux, and it's great to see. And I just, I enjoyed it so much. So go watch it. It's It takes a little bit to get going. It takes at least two episodes. But once once you're in it, it's really great. I am an episode and a half in. I'm very excited about it. I had to turn it off because last night... I went to see a movie that I'm going to talk about really quickly, even though I didn't put it on the agenda, and that is The House with a Clock in Its Walls, which is a little weird to see at 10 o'clock at night, because it's very much like a kid movie. It's it's a family-friendly, like, Halloween-ish type movie. Really cute. I was surprised. It actually, uh, it was a pleasant surprise for me. It's this little boy, he's recently orphaned, his parents died in some kind of an accident, and he is sent to live with his uncle. It turns out his uncle, who is played by Jack Black, um, is a warlock, and his BFF. But they're like they're like fighting siblings. It's Kate Blanchett, and she's the lady next door. And they're just so funny together. Their banter, like they bicker so much, and she has the absolute best insults. I love her. So it's just it's just a cute movie. It turns out that there was this old warlock who. Uh, he was doing this thing. I don't want to get into what it was, but he was doing something and he hit a clock somewhere in the house that Jack Black has spent all this time trying to find because if they, if the clock finishes its countdown, then that brings on doomsday. And of course we can't have that happen. So, uh, yeah. So the kid ends up learning some magic too. And it's just this very whimsical movie that really surprised me. I thought it looked really dumb, but it's, it's actually it's fun. It was really cute. I would totally take kids to see this. Maybe not under, like, age eight, but, um, because there are some parts that, that would be a little scary. My roommate went with me, and she, she said that there were parts that really scared her, which I was just like, oh, honey, that's so cute, but anyway, I just want to put in a plug for that movie. If you, you know, if you just want something just, just cute and light, that's a good one. Uh, and no- absolutely nothing else came out this week at all. There's nothing else in theaters, so we're gonna just time uh... for the throwdown. <laughs> uh, Kristen, you've been waiting for months and months. Go. Someone pl- play the wrestling music. <laughs> um, okay, so I I feel like this is a, ch- a bit of a cheat because I've been watching Justin Theroux shows all week and so I'm like really high on him right now and I'm like Oscar Isaac sucks fuck him <laughs> um, I mean I would but at this point I'm using it in the derogatory sense um, but either way so yeah I went and saw Life Itself last week 
and um, it was everything I expected. I expected. And it to why be was it everything bad. you expected, Kristen? Because I had read the script, which you should not do scripts. anymore. Stop it. No, it would not have changed a fucking thing. It, everything, yeah, it would have. Everything I was that's on that script is in the movie, and it still would have pissed me off. I just knew it earlier. Um, so I, I knew it was gonna suck. I knew it. It's been called this year's Collateral Beauty, this year's Book of Henry. I've not seen either one of those, so I can't say if that's an accurate statement, but I didn't, I didn't outright hate this movie, as in it's the biggest piece of shit ever, it's the worst of the year. No. The worst movie of the year is still like a one-two punch to the balls of mute and I feel pretty. Um, but it's still, it's still not good. It's still incredibly troubling. Uh, the, the advertising's only advertising about the first 30 minutes. Um, a little bit of the, the second half is in there, but if you're really going for certain actors, oh, holy shit, are you going to be disappointed? <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, um, telling the plot is a, is a spoiler in itself, practically, but I had issues with a lot of things. I have not watched This Is Us, so I've been told, Karen tells me I'm incorrect, but I've been told by numerous people that this is essentially the show in microphone. It is absolutely not. Um, this this is not <laughs> no, no. This is not hold the candle um, to this is us. But I didn't I didn't like this. I thought that Oscar Isaac needs to really look at his life choices. Because if he thought this movie sounded like a good idea, it's a no, no. This is a he plays a character that there's literally a scene where a poor girl says, I just don't think I'm equipped to be loved by you this much. Your feelings are just too intense. He is fucking insane. He has mental illness, and you knew it before he, before all of the stuff that happens. It's not cute. That is what, like, threw me. She's the worst English major, so really, I guess she had bad taste in men. Her thesis is trash, and that's that's always gonna be bad. Um, the rest of the cast is is fine. I think the the Spanish-speaking cast in the second half of the movie is really good, especially, uh, what is, what is her name? Laia Costa? Mm -hmm. I think she's, um, she's really great. But that's about it. I thought this was just, it had so many issues from a, a gender perspective, from a race perspective, um, and it's just so batshit. But it's not endearing batshit, like, like, you're like, oh my god, like, the, 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 temerity of this director to write something like this it's it's not so bad it's good it's so sappy it's like punching you in the face and if you don't cry then you have no, like I was waiting for Dan Fogelman to sit in the corner and be like see it's sad it's sad why aren't you crying are you crying you're not fucking crying why are you not crying um it's just it's manipulative and awful and I did not like it and Dan it's not because I don't have emotions. It's because your movie sucks. So stop saying that. Oh, I'm so glad I got that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wanted to let you go first. So uh, <laughs> it's funny because I had been hearing since it premiered at Toronto, this is the worst piece of trash. This movie is terrible. It sucks. It sucks. It's awful. And so I went into it going like, oh, gosh. Okay. <sighs> All right. Because I'd been looking forward to it, because I, I love This Is Us, obviously, and uh, the thing is that he's got a writer's room for that show. It's not all him, and uh, he's got people to tell him, hey, Dan, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. In this case, not so much. Uh, so I went into it very, like, 
ready to just, like I was braced. I was braced for something just ridiculously awful. And so when I was watching it, I was like, well, this is interesting. This isn't bad. I, I mean, it's, you know, overall, I thought there were some really high points of this movie. There were some also very low points. And the end is so fucking cheesy that I just was cringing, like, through the whole last probably ten minutes or so. And this character in the end of the movie just, like, is basically just... Like, okay, I get it. I get what your point is. I get the big takeaway it's that you want. It's a 20-minute summation. It is, but it repeats over and over again. It's like she says yeah. the point, like, five different times. And I'm like, okay, just end the damn movie. Like, we got it. Do Move you, on. We're good. Do you know if Dan Fogelman <laughs> has an English degree? Is he an English? Like, does he have a Did he not get an English degree and he's really bitter about <laughs> it? No because, idea. like, writing 101, <laughs> he does not understand and he literally has English usage here that is just... I, I want to know if this is just his his treaties about why I should have gotten a PhD in English by Dan Fulman. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like, my thesis was good, damn it. Um, <laughs> her thesis was good. It was just her teacher was trying to sexually assault right, her. Yes, exactly. And that's why he didn't like it. No, yeah. no, girl. Your teacher should have told you, do you not understand what fucking major you're in? This is not an English thesis. Exactly. Go this home. This is a philosophy paper. Thank you. Goodbye. Yes. Go change your major. <laughs> go home. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, so, definitely this did not live up to what I was hoping I didn't think it was the disaster that a lot of other people thought. There were some parts that I was very surprised by in a good way, and some parts I was surprised by in a not good way. Um, but yeah, out of the 84 movies I have seen this year, this is number 56. So there you go. If somebody had told me at the beginning of this year, I actually tweeted this, if somebody had told me at the beginning of this year that Oscar Isaac would have three movies out in 2018 and I would not care for either, for two of the three, I would have been very shocked. But this broke me. This like, took my spirit and was like, hey, do you love Oscar Isaac? Fuck you, I just stomped on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's about it. What's everyone doing this week? You and I are going to be hanging out all, practically all that's week. That's right. Because I I will be down in LA for LA Film Fest, and then Karen and I are going to Disneyland and doing all sorts of fun stuff during the week, so woohoo! It's gonna be lit! <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, you have NYFF stuff going on? I'm, yeah, I'm in the, the second week of press screenings at NYFF, and that includes, I think, this week, um, If Beale Street Could Talk which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and a few others that I'm blanking on at the moment. But yeah, there's always always some interesting stuff. Very cool. Kim, what do you got to look forward to? My week continues. I have night school and a star is born. That's an interesting... They have not sent us our star is born screening. And I, I'm getting the sneaking suspicion that that's going to happen while I'm gone. Because they know that I don't... I'm not excited. Yep. So I, I figure... I figure there's somebody in a cubicle right now saying, Lopez is out of town. Screen it. <laughs> That's exactly go, go, it. They're go. like, schedule it now. Uh, I'm going to the This Is Us premiere on Tuesday, so that's the one thing I won't be doing with Kristen this week. Tell, tell Dan <laughs> that um, 
him and I are gonna have a talk about <laughs> what English majors do because I have a fucking master's in English and I have some questions. So you I'm gonna... don't know, Dan. You don't know. <laughs> I'm yeah. just gonna ask him. Hey, will you set a? Will you settle a bet? <laughs> Do you have a degree in English? <laughs> yes. Tell him. Curious minds want to know. All right. Well, that is gonna wrap us up for this week. Uh, thanks so much for listening. You can find us all the places that you listen to podcasts, which you already know because you're already listening. But if you want to subscribe. Go to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify. You can stream us there. Lots of other places. Uh, and, of course, you can go to our website, citizendamepod.com, where we have our weekly top five. We have uh, Kim's Feminist Fridays. We have a bunch of different fun reviews and things. And uh, we also have our Patreon, patreon.com slash citizendame, where you can get our uh, bonus episodes of all kinds of things, like some Star Wars stuff. And I promise, promise, promise Jeff Goldblum will be there this week. Well, he's not going to be there, but our episode about him will be there. <laughs> um, fun stuff there. We've got Facebook, facebook.com slash citizendame. And of course, follow us on Twitter at citizendamepod. And our individual Twitters, Kristen. I am at journeys underscore film. Lauren. I am at LH Business. Kim. At kpierce624. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. And that's going to close us out. So thank you all. And we'll see you next week. I love you. You're the love of my life. I'm sure of it. But sometimes it scares me how much you feel. You know? It's not something I ever thought I would be scared of, but... I may not be equipped to be loved this much. I'll find another way. No. I'll find another way. Hey, I will. I will love you however you're best equipped to handle it, Abby. I will love you on odd days of the week. <laughs> Maybe I will spend the rest of my life making your life better, not worse. <laughs>